Welcome to the Fraudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud that impact people and businesses. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC, and I know we said two weeks ago that we were finished with podcasts for the year. But in the spirit of the holidays, we're offering this bonus edition of the Fraudian Slip to dig a little deeper into part of the conversation we had about instant payment and transfer apps like Venmo, Zelle, and Cash during our annual predictions episode. Just to refresh your memory, one of the ITRC's predictions for 2023 involved how identity fraud and scams involving peer-to-peer payment apps would continue to increase and that increase would prompt government action to protect consumers. Let's once again join John Breo from the National Consumers League and a member of the ITRC board, along with the ITRC's own CEO, Eva Velasquez, as we discuss the rise in payment app-related fraud and what to do about it. Historically, you know, we've transferred money. That it, you know, it, you might as well just put it on the Pony Express and someday it'll get there. Uh, now we have instant financial transfers, and there's a lot that comes with that. Um, why don't you talk about that and, and what's happening, particularly in, yeah. in, in pu- public policy? Yeah. So, you know, uh, chances are if you've had to split a bill, a, a bar tab with somebody or paid a babysitter uh, anytime in the last two or three years, uh, you've just said, I'm going to Ven- Venmo you the money, right? It's become so ingrained in how uh, many Americans transfer money from one to another that it's now a verb. Uh, you're Venmoing it. But certainly uh, there are other money transfer apps out there uh, like uh, Cash App, um, uh, like, uh, like Zelle. Um, and, you know, these have a lot of benefits for people. It does reduce the costs of uh, sending small amounts of money to people that you know um, to do things like split a bar tab or pay, you know, go in, go in for a vacation rental home or something like that. The problem is that that same instantaneous nature of the payment um, and the fact that you can send it to somebody with only an email address or a phone number uh, makes it incredibly attractive to scammers. And so what we've seen is that fraud rates on peer-to-peer apps has exploded. Um, And uh, unfortunately, uh, when a consumer sends money to a scammer, they are not protected, right? Once you send that money, you are not protected under federal law. Um, and we hear from consumers constantly who realize within minutes some, sometimes that they've been defrauded, do what we've been telling them to do for years, which is call your bank immediately, tell them what happened. And the bank says, sorry, there's nothing we can do. The money is gone. And, uh, you know, we are not obligated to make you whole. Um, and that's uh, the reason they're not obligated to make you whole, not to get too wonky, <laughs> but uh, in the law, uh, which is called the Electronic Funds Transfer Act, uh, they say that uh, a consumer does not have liability for an unauthorized transaction. Uh, meaning if a scammer gets a hold of your debit card number or your credit card number, or in the case of a slightly different with credit cards, but let's say they get a hold of your debit card number they run up a bunch of charges at Best Buy. You can dispute that transaction and get your money back because you're protected. That was an unauthorized uh, purchase. Now, if you send the money, even if you're sending it to a complete scammer, uh, because you authorized that, that transaction is not covered. 
And so uh, we're now seeing uh, what we strongly believe is billions of dollars in fraud being uh, fraudulent payments being sent over the, these apps. And so a coalition of consumer groups, uh, including my own at, at the National Consumers League and a number of others, have been pushing both the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and uh, Congress to uh, fix this loophole, to basically allow people who use these apps to be as protected as uh, someone using any other kind of payment. Um, but I do think that the numbers don't lie. The fraud on this these platforms is, is, is far higher than other types of payment. And I don't think that Congress or the CFPB are going to be able to ignore this problem for much longer. So, Eva, I know you have strong thoughts on this because we've talked about them. Your prediction, which kind of kind of touches on this, is this concept of generational activity on this topic of, of just how you interact with the digital economy and the mm -hmm. digital world. Talk about your views and then work in what, what John just said, because, look, Everybody who uses these things loves the convenience and nobody thinks it's a bad thing until you lose money. And then you think it's an awful thing. To John's point, and I agree with everything that John said, um, I think trying to figure out where the responsibility lies is, is going to be the challenge. The fight to protect consumers Will, it will trickle down and it will help all generations, even though they do engage differently. The, the dollar amounts with younger generations, they tend to be much smaller. It's just because they don't have, they haven't had a, as much time on the planet to, to build that wealth. Hopefully, we'll be able to find that middle ground between abdicating all responsibility from people when they make choices. They chose to send this payment. They chose to conduct this transaction. Uh, but also understanding that it's gotten so, it has become so complex out there. We need to do more to protect folks when they're trying to make those decisions. And I've already seen some, you know, a few changes. I'm seeing a lot more um, education on some of these instant payment platforms where it's like, are you know, used to ask, are you sure? Are you ready to initiate this payment? And now you get a little uh, consumer education along with that. Are you sure? You know, it's like, hey, remember, scammers will use this. Is this and the, the government won't ask for payment this way. And uh, so there's more education going on. But I I think that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Tucker and see, agrees. And Tucker agrees with me again. Yeah, I am sorry, but I just have to tell you guys, uh, I don't think you're doing your job here, John, because Tucker hasn't agreed with you yet. So you know, I, I speak dog, and I think that Tucker <laughs> Tucker wants to add his two cents to this. And so I'm just going to translate Tucker uh, <laughs> Tucker's input here. But, you know, I, you know, Eva, I think one thing that um, and, and, and I hate to say this as somebody who has been involved in consumer education for as long as I have. And I know that that you and, and James and the whole team at ITRC have made consumer education um, a core part of what you do and it's, it's important. Um, but uh, I, um, I, it has limitations, mm -hmm. right? And I think, you know, we could put five messages in front of consumers telling them not to send money to scammers on these P2P apps. And the scammers are so good at what they do that they will talk people right through those. 
Um, and and so I, I we, we call it when, when this kind of fraud happens, um, we call it fraud in the inducement um, mm-hmm. because consumers are being induced to send the money. I, I wouldn't say that they're choosing to send the money. Right. If, if you really do think that, uh, you know, the IRS is about to knock on your door because somebody's convinced you that you owe back taxes to the government unless you pay five hundred dollars right now. Um, that you are not choosing to send that money. Right. Um, so uh, I, I, I think um, consumer education does need to happen and we need to put resources and, and, and make that a priority. But I also think that changing the incentives uh, on the people who are making money off of these transactions, not the scammers, I mean, but the platforms themselves, so that that uh, tension between wanting to make sure that transact that the the ninety nine point nine percent of transactions that are not fraudulent can happen quickly and with as little um, uh, as little friction as the as the platforms like to call it as possible, uh, so that that is balanced against the potential for fraud and the costs involved in making people whole when they fall victim to fraud um, is something that I think we're going to need. We're going to need regulatory action to change those incentives. I'm so Uh, glad you, you called me out on that because you're right. That was a poor, poor choice of words on, on my part. They are being induced. You know, that was, that was was not me. That was not me calling you out. That was me (laughs) translating Taylor. Oh, oh, Tucker. That was Tucker. That was Tucker. Okay. Well, I see Tucker. Okay. Uh, James, please, please tell Tucker that I, that I do uh, uh, appreciate the, you know, making sure that I <laughs> that I choose my words carefully. And and John, I think you're right. Consumer education. I'm always going to see things through that consumer education lens because I do believe in the power of it, and I believe in what it does. But you're absolutely right. It has limitations. And you know, one of the things I'll I'll speak it into existence now on this on this podcast that I have always been hopeful for is. Um, the introduction of some friction. I know that the the platforms and the and the banks will come back and say, ah, consumers hate friction, and if we do that, they'll leave, and we can't lose our customers, and all of those things. So I do think that what consumers can do here is be a part of a societal shift that says a little bit of friction is okay, and even things like opting into I don't know, some kind of further verification before these payments go through or saying, you know what, it's not going to be instant. It'll take place in 24 hours so that people, you know, can opt into that and say, well, I don't, I've lost the ability to make instantaneous payments. It's going to take 24 hours. But you and I both know that as soon as people hang up the phones, as soon as they get out of that, that fight or flight part of their brain, the logical brain kicks on and they go, man, something was wrong. We're talking minutes. We're talking about minutes. And so the difference between these instant payments and having something take even just a couple of hours could actually make a significant impact on the fraud rates and it could decrease it. At least that's my opinion. Thanks, Eva. And thanks, John. And thank you for listening. 
The ITRC staff of trained advisors is taking a well-deserved rest this week, but you can still learn about the scams that impact your identity, privacy, or security by visiting our website at idtheftcenter.org. You can also leave a message for our advisors using our live chat feature on our website or by calling our toll-free number. Just visit idtheftcenter.org to get started. We'll get in touch with you when we return to the office on January 3rd. From all of us at the ITRC, we wish you the happiest of holiday seasons with your friends and loved ones and a safe, prosperous, and secure 2023.